In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal, Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway, here with Cameron Conway. And we've spent a lot of time talking about housing and home ownership and things like that. So today, we're going to talk about how to be a smart renter. That's right. You've given up all hope of ever owning a home. So now it's time to start renting. Well, that's not necessarily always the case. There's very many good reasons to be renting. And I think it's something that most of us go through throughout our life period. I mean, we've rented before. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just a natural rite of passage. We rented for a little while, a long time ago. And even now, my brother's renting because he just got kicked out of the house. And so it's something we just have to kind of go through. But there's lessons we can learn today so we don't have to learn them the hard way while we are in the middle of our lease. Well, and the hard way can be the expensive way. So if we can come up with some good tips and tricks today for you that kind of help you make the ride a little bit smoother, then hopefully that will have accomplished its purpose. So let's start at the beginning. Like we said, renting can be either a lifestyle choice or it can be something that's very life stage specific. So what I mean by that is sometimes, I guess more in the past than today, It did make good economic sense. You would save a bunch of money when rental costs were lower than home ownership costs. So, and by home ownership costs, we're not just talking the mortgage to the rent. We're talking about the whole home ownership experience and everything that comes along with it. Well, exactly. Fun things like property tax and water bills and utilities and all the other add-ons because there was a time where renting could be like half of a total cost of owning a home. So yeah, it made a lot of sense. There's still some areas today where that's true, but it's a, it feels a little narrower today than it used to be. Well, that seems to be the great divide, right? Between the metro areas and maybe areas that are a little bit outside of that. I think supply and demand is playing a huge role right now. And I think now more than ever with the surge of increased 
housing units becoming rentals over the past couple of years, we have more amateur landlords. And by amateur, I mean, maybe it's their first time doing it. They're not necessarily running this as a business. I think there's a lot of people that got into the housing market looking for that quick buck in terms of having someone pay their mortgage and quick housing appreciation. And I think for those types of landlords, if you can come in educated and knowing the rules better than they do, that will put you in a much stronger negotiating position and it'll put you in a stronger position to protect yourself if they try and do something that maybe they're not aware is not completely kosher with the current rules in your province. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of filtering through which are the actual good landlords and which are the landlords who just watched way too many hours of HGTV and said, hey, I could do that. The get-rich-quick schemes strike again, eh? But um, don't let it come at your expense. So we've kind of talked a little bit about some of the reasons why you might decide you want to rent. I mean, there's the freedom that comes along with it. If you have a career or a workplace where you're going to be moving around quite a bit, the ability to be mobile is very valuable. Another thing could be you may want to live in a certain area, but it may not be permanent where some people want to want to be closer to school or they want to be in like a downtown core for work. And they just want to have that ease of access without having to shell out the big down payment at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Like live the lifestyle for a few years kind of thing before settling down. And I mean, as it relates to settling down, settling down can look like different things to different people, right? Sometimes there's that struggle to save that down payment, and that's when people are typically renting, if that's a goal. But I think it's really, when you are renting, it becomes about evaluating the cost of the rental, the amount of space, the living conditions that you're willing to accept, because, I mean, that can be a challenge in this market right now as well. And essentially counting the cost and having a very clear understanding of what you actually are working towards. Why have you chosen this rental at this size in this location with or without these roommates and all the pros and cons that kind of go along with it? Yeah, it's just kind of determining what kind of lifestyle you want. And for some people, renting is the way to get that at this moment. But this comes down to what do you want your home life to be like? What do you want your social life to be like and your work life? And just trying to find a good balance between all of that. And like I said, for a lot of people, renting is usually the easier approach to make all that work. Right. And I mean, I can think back to when we were renting and we looked for a really small place because we were trying to save as much money as possible. And that's something that can appeal to people, being frugal so that they can meet those other goals a little bit faster. Well, yeah, and part of it was also, too, we weren't sure if we were going to stay in that one community, which we ended up moving to a different one. But so it was good just to have that one year and one place to kind of get figured out what we wanted to do. And then we actually ended up where we wanted to be later. That's right. But I think on the flip side of that, there's more and more people that are seeing homeownership kind of fade a little bit out of reach or at least fade a bit out of reach for now. So I've been seeing a lot of articles kind of popping up here and there with the number of people that feel like they're going to be long-term or lifetime renters has really dramatically increased in the past couple years. So if you're in that category, that requires a bit of a different thought process. So maybe rather than saving for that home, or if 
so many years have gone by and it's time to start thinking about other things that are competing for your money, like retirement, then maybe those are the goals that you set other than home ownership. And I mean, let's kind of take the shame out of this, right? Because it seems like there's this big stigma against renters for whatever reason. It's been a good option for a lot of years. I think the only thing that makes it a less favorable option now, in addition to the cost, of course, is the greater level of uncertainty that we've been seeing with it, which is really, it just translates to a lack of stability. And I think part of that is just part of the economic conditions that we found ourselves in, where, like we said, we were in a weird marketplace and people were trying to make a quick buck at the expense of other people, unfortunately. Well, and that's kind of being played out with the whole rent eviction scheme where people are just kicking out tenants just so they can jack up the rent by higher amounts for one reason or another, whether to put money in their pocket to help pay the mortgage costs, pay the property tax. But there is just a lot of this push and pull that's happening seemingly a lot more now where landlords are a lot more picky. They're getting very, very personal. I've seen all kinds of crazy threads on Facebook and Reddit, people asking for like people's GPAs, they're trying to find out the nationalities and family history beyond what's illegally allowed to be asked about. And it can get a little crazy. So that is sort of the trade-off with renting where, yeah, there's that stability, there's that vetting process. Even if you are a great tenant, there could be all kinds of weird and screwed up things that some of these amateur renters could be asking, or even some of the bigger corporate ones too. Oh, sure. And I think that when we're in a situation where someone who's in a rental agreement right now sees what the market rent has turned into, there is a real sense of fear there because sometimes you can't get what you have or you're worried about losing what you have, right? I have a good friend who got evicted from her long-term rental for family reasons, you know, that good old family reason excuse. But um, turns out, when she kind of looked back and, and kind of was seeing what was happening, the landlord had a family member live there, I think it was a month, and then rented it at a higher rate to another third party. So there are kind of sketchy things that are happening. And it's figuring out where your line in the sand is and kind of what side you want to be on, on these things. Yeah, and we probably should throw it too that a lot of the stuff doesn't just apply to you as an individual. A lot of businesses are kind of being hit by this exact same thing too with huge spikes in rent. So like one of the areas we're close to, it's been like a 20% increase in rental fees in the last couple of years. So this is sort of like a big issue where it's not just where I live, but for a lot of you it could also be where your business is as well. Just trying to navigate this whole rental environment and dealing with these leases and just trying to balance things out between renting spaces and owning places. Okay, so let's get into some of the nitty gritty. Let's start talking about better understanding your lease and how it can protect you, the landlord, and so the two of you can actually benefit from this relationship. Yeah, and a lot of that is going to come down to knowing your rights and what they are provincially because, I mean, they do vary based on where you live. And I mean, there are residential tenancy branches that um, have information about the residential tenancy acts that can help you out along the way or help you with kind of frequent questions and things like that and situations that people run into or even showing you what a proper drafted rental agreement or even roommate agreement 
could look like because there's two sides to all of these conversations. So we're going to start by talking about kind of what it should look like with your landlord, but also the other side that you shouldn't neglect is the relationships with the people that you live with and how those relationships are defined. Because not only can that affect your quality of life, but it can also have financial implications if you find yourself in bed, so to speak, with someone that maybe is messier or damages property or spends a lot more on their utility usage than you would, things like that. Let's circle back to kind of the core document that you're probably going to be reviewing with your landlord for the first time when you start renting, and hopefully that you'll review down the road as well. That's your residential tenancy agreement. Yeah, some people will kind of ad hoc this themselves, but it's typically best to try and get like a real one from the government. Like you can get one in BC from gov.bc.ca slash landlord tenant. And this will be a fully legal compliant lease agreement that you can sign with your landlord. It's got everything highlighted and marked off. So you know exactly what you're getting yourself into, what the limitations are. And this is a good legal document because you don't want to kind of have the scribbled on the back of a crumpled up piece of paper and not have anything clear or concise because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is just understanding what the regs and the laws and the procedures are in your province. Because a lot of this is just going to come down to some of your own research and just digging the stuff up so you know what is right, what's legal, what's illegal, what's not correct, because there is, there is a difference between all of this. It's kind of the knowledge is power way of looking at it. So you know what your rights are, what you're what you can do, what you can't do, and it goes to the landlord too. Because all this has to be, all this should be done legally and ethically. Because part of the search is not just finding a house, it's also finding a landlord that you can trust will actually uphold these laws without you having to go to the government for intervention. Well, that's right. Dispute resolution can be really expensive in terms of both time, money, and focus, right? So, I agree with Cam's recommendation 100%, depending on your province, finding out who the governing body is there and finding out what their template is and how your agreement kind of holds up in comparison is an absolutely great starting point. For no other reason than these government bodies are going to put out documents that cover all the bases. When you think about it, these are the ones that are receiving the complaints that kind of know the ins and outs of their own acts that they're governed by. So uh, that would be the kind of the first thing for the day is pull out one of these from your province's website or your province's regulating body's website and um, just take a look at it side by side to your own lease. Yeah. And another thing you can do is actually bring this to the proposed landlord and see how they react to it. If there are no problem at all dealing with one of these government built ones, then you're fine. But if they get really defensive and really angry, you know, you should go find somewhere else to live. Well, that's it. This is an individual, either them or their representative, if they've hired a third party, that you're going to be having to call whenever there's trouble. So 
while they're vetting you and they're taking you through their application process, their screening process, their background checks, their references, you should also be kind of testing the waters. And by that, I don't mean being difficult because, of course, they're looking for good tenants that are going to be easy to work with longer term. But you should be trying to see how they react to maybe a call at an unusual time or something along the lines of you're saying something or or seeing how they would handle a fix that needs to be done, right? And I mean, I guess it's easy to say the right things and the proof is in the pudding, but there is a little bit of sussing out. You can kind of ask for things like how it had gone with their previous tenants, if they're willing to share that information or how things were handled with previous tenants, or even kind of like um, like personal relationships. Why did you break up with your last ex? And if they come in with this loud rambling story of how that other person was just awful and terrible and none of it was their fault and it was all this other party, maybe that's something that you should consider, especially if you're looking at this as a long-term relationship. So all of that essentially just to say, just be aware of who you're getting in bed with because this is someone that is going to have to be responsive on a timely basis for you to be able to enjoy your residence. And especially if this is a long-term thing for you, you want to be able to have a functional working relationship. Well, to follow that up, I know you did some digging for BC and you found like a pretty handy list of some things you should be on the lookout for. Were there anything that really stood out to you from that list? Oh, sure. So let's kind of run through some of the things that you should be seeing in your own agreement. I mean, first and foremost is who is the actual party named on the lease? So for the landlord, who is it? There should be some information about them on there and on your side as well, especially if you have roommates and other parties, who is actually named on that lease? Because that's going to have some material implications later on. I mean, there's a rule here in BC where the landlord can evict the person named on the lease, right? But in some situations, roommates get added after the fact that aren't necessarily on the lease, so they may not have that same level of relationship or protection than the person named on the lease may have. Other important pieces of information are things like defining the term of the agreement. So when does it begin? When does it end? And if you don't renew it, what happens? I mean, here in BC, if you're on a fixed term and you don't renew, it does default to a month to month. And there are pros and cons. I mean, some people want the stability of having a fixed term. There can also be protections. I'm not sure about other provinces, but there can be some protections where if a landlord doesn't have an adequate reason to evict you before the end of the term, they might have to pay out the balance of the lease to you. But again, check with your jurisdiction to see what actually applies to you. Um, You want to see what triggers the ending of the agreement and also who can do it. So again, that's going to speak to who's named on the lease, who has the power to kind of initiate these conversations, and how it can be done. And of course, when you're looking at things like the bottom line, the base rent, what does that actually cover? You know, are there additional charges that you're going to be faced with? Are they going to be trying to pass on utilities, things like that, storage, parking, um, those kinds of things? Can they charge you late penalties or interest? And under what circumstances can they do that? And 
the big one, and this is the big question for a lot of people, how often the rent can be increased. Now, in BC, and I mean, this is generally regulated provincially, so your provincial regulator will have that information in black and white. It should be a fixed percentage that they cannot exceed. But landlords like to get creative sometime. And sometimes they want a new lease or a new agreement for you to sign that may not be in your best interest. Because if they can get you to agree to a new contract, whether or not it's legal, you could have some difficulty getting out of it. So understanding when you would actually have to sign a new lease, if at all, is something that should be very important to take a look at. So don't just uh, say, okay, okay, to whatever paper they've put in front of you. You have a right to take the time to review it, to do your own research, to run a fair comparison in the area that you're in. What are comparables? Are they being reasonable? That kind of thing. Yeah, and let's just double back for a second. We're talking about utilities quick. Uh, This is something that some people may miss, that when you're renting, it can actually make it a little harder sometimes to build your credit score. So sometimes actually having those utilities in your name can actually really help build your credit for the future. And this also plays in again to whose name is on the lease, who is on the account at hydro or gas or whatever it might be, because all these things will help build your credit in the long term. It could take a couple of years, but this is something to really help speed that process along, especially if you want to go get a different place to rent or if you're looking to get a house later on too, having the good credit score will impact your interest rates or even just your ability to get a nicer place to rent down the road. Absolutely. I think one of the big criticisms of paying rent is that even if you've paid faithfully for a number of years, you don't get that kind of gold star that someone with a mortgage would get. So finding ways like this to enhance your credit, I mean, that's a great tip, Cam. Well, the next tip we can get into is talking about documentation. So this is writing things down. Something we're very familiar with in our industry is keeping very accurate and detailed records about everything. This covers everything from when you do the initial walkthrough of the property, like when you rent it. So the landlord is looking around, he's looking for marks and scuffs so he can determine whether or not he can hit you with a damage deposit later. But the landlord has to do it with you and you are free to take pictures as well. It's all these little things to just be sure that everything is getting recorded so you don't end up with the whole he said, she said, they said routine later on. So this can be things about damage, things about complaints that could go one way or the other. And it's just making sure that everything has been clearly defined in the agreements and the expectations between yourself, the landlord, or even between yourself and your roommates or whoever else is living with you. It's a lot easier just to write things down up front so everyone has a clear idea of what's going on in the future. And like I said before, even bad things or complaints, all these things need to be written down as well because it could help clear things up later or it could help show a pattern or if something does go to arbitration or tenancy boards, there is a written record of everything that's been going on. Yeah, it's kind of like marriage and divorce, right? You want to set the agreements while everyone's in a good mood Well, everyone still has those positive feelings towards each other, and there's a little more room for give and take, whereas down the road, if things were not documented properly, then there's maybe that little bit of bitterness that's crept in that will make it 
that much more difficult to keep the conversation reasonable and logical because emotions do run hot on these things sometimes, especially when a party feels like they've been wronged or when someone feels like their expectations have not been met adequately. Yeah. And a part of this documentation too is also just getting things done like uh, home inspection reports you can get done for rentals. And other times it could just be having the clear conversations that whose insurance is responsible for what. So making sure the landlord has their insurance for the structure and the property and that you also have your own tenant insurance. You know the divisions between the two, what's responsible for what, and just making sure that you actually have your own insurance and the landlord has theirs as well. Right. And that should cover your content insurance as well. And just clear up with your landlord who's responsible for any liability issues if someone's hurt on the property. I mean, it could relate to cause, but that's something that you should be aware of as well. And of course, like Cam had said, you don't want your landlord to be the only one with all the records. So the more that you can get in writing and the more that you can have your own evidence, your own cases built, uh, should they need to become cases or your own photo evidence of things or even, hey, this this damage occurred on this date. I'm going to take a picture with my phone. There's going to be a timestamp on when I took that picture. Okay, it's been three months. It hasn't been resolved adequately. I'm taking another picture with another timestamp. If this becomes a complaint, well, now I've got two points in time documented that now I can, you know, I just didn't make a phone call that now I can't prove what was said or what wasn't said. And if I've sent the correspondence either in writing or text message these days, uh, whatever it might be, there's a clear correspondence chain. There's a clear show of what the response was, what the timeline was, and kind of what appropriately occurred. So you really can't argue the fact pattern at that point in time. Well, let's move on now to another part we should probably talk about, which is how to help yourself look better to a prospective landlord. Because if you're dealing with like a good landlord, all they really want is just someone they know will just take care of the property, pay their rent on time, and won't be more hassled than they're worth. Well, and there are a lot of landlords out there that are willing to accept a slightly lower rent for that benefit. No one wants a headache. No one wants to be wasting time and money and effort. And kind of the lower maintenance, the better from their point of view. At least that's what I've seen. Well, yeah, exactly. So it's just trying to communicate how you can fit into those things and just answering whatever questions the landlord is legally entitled to ask you about, because we there's all kinds of stories out there where landlords try to poke and pry for more information than they're legally allowed to. Like a BC, they can't ask for your SIN number. They can't ask about ethnicity. They can't ask if you have kids or not, or how many, or how many more you're going to have. So part of this is your own research to see what they can and can't ask for. And kind of what we said before, if you kind of put your foot down in these areas where they're not allowed to ask, and they really start to push back against you, it's a good indication to go find somewhere else to live. That's right. And I mean, like we've said, they just want someone that's stable as well. So if your employment history is fairly continuous, if you have a good job, consistent wage, I mean, if there's more than one income earner in the household, that can help as well. Uh, they're going to do that background check in a lot of cases. They're going to talk to some references, although, I mean, references can be pretty objective, right? So that's that's a bit of a, a wild card. But um for the or most your references could just be you with a silly voice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I 
I don't know how legal that would be. But um, once you get your foot in the door, really, that's when you get to prove yourself to be a good, stable, long-term tenant. And really, while you're probably going to have to pay market rent right off the bat, the longer you stay and the longer you've proved yourself to be consistent, the more negotiating power you have down the road to maybe mitigate some rental increases in the future because they might feel like it's more of a hassle and a greater risk to them to get someone else in there as opposed to you that they know that's been responsible, that's made payments on time, that hasn't aggravated the neighbors or damaged their property, that's taking good care of things. Yeah, and this will kind of ebb and flow with the overall market. Like for the last couple of years, that's been less of a case, but things could shift down the road again to be how it was a couple of years ago, where you can have a lot more negotiating power when it comes to that, where someone can just have a no-stress tenant they don't have to worry about, which has a lot of value in the long run. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I know personally someone that's been living in the same basement suite for a very long time. They're long-term renters and they pay way below market rent just because the little old lady that lives upstairs is so much happier just knowing that there's someone there that she trusts, that that's what's become more important. And the little pleasantries, the little relationships that they've developed along the way has more value to that particular individual than necessarily a higher rent payment. So we've talked a lot about the relationship between you and your landlord, but we should probably touch on pretty quick on your relationship with the people you live with, because it's not always you'll be living with like a spouse or common law. Sometimes you could be living with friends. Sometimes you could be living with strangers and having a clear cut agreement and understanding of who's responsible for what can really help play things out in the long run. And yes, we're kind of borrowing from Big Bang a little bit here. I was going to say, where's that Big Bang Theory joke? Oh, it's coming. It was that or the John Cena house rules joke. Oh, my goodness. That'll date you a little bit there, my dear. But um, yeah, so let's run through that really quick. So in the same way where the residential tenancy agreement is defining your relationship perhaps a bit more formally with your landlord, the roommate agreement is really just trying to hash out the details of the day-to-day ahead of time, like we said before, where everyone's in a good mood, while everyone's still feeling positively about these relationships. And it's trying to keep you guys on good terms so that if there are bumps in the road, we've already come to a decision on how they're going to be resolved. So again, just another effort to take the emotion out of that. Exactly. It's determining if someone doesn't do the dishes, is there a repercussion? Is there a way to settle things out? Do we have to go to trial by combat? Who knows? <laughs> it can cover things from household chores to things like how the rent is split or who's paying for or collecting the security deposit or even things like um, utilities or what happens when someone hasn't made a payment. What recourse do you have against your roommate uh, if the bills are all in one person's name, like we were talking about the benefits of having a good impact to your credit score, well, if the bill's in your name and your roommate's not giving you the money, that can be a concern as well. So what recourse do you have if these bills or the rent is not being paid by that other individual 
in in a timely manner. And I mean, roommates agreements also should be covering things like the use of space. What is private? What's shared? Are there any rules to govern the shared space? And this isn't to go all ruley McRule over you, but it's it's to basically make sure that everyone can have a basic enjoyment of their house so that no one feels like they're being kind of pushed out or pushed into a corner in their own home, especially when they're paying some of the rent. So there are some good templates on that that you can find online as well. We'll put one up that we've found in the uh, the link for the description to the podcast. But I do think that having a quick read through that, again, will at least get you thinking in the direction of what should we, what is important enough to us that we want to agree on ahead of time. And specifically when things cost money, how are these issues going to be addressed? But I mean, like I said, things like guests and pets can be an issue as well. Well, one way we can kind of sum up a lot of what we've talked about today is communication is key between yourself and your roommates, between yourself and your landlord. It's just taking the time and just to work through all of these questions and scenarios and possibilities. So right from the get-go, everything is pretty clear. Yes, there'll be odd things that pop up here and there, but if you can get these things set up at the beginning, it'll make the whole relationship a lot smoother over the long term. Yeah, and it's essentially covering your backside so that you're not out extra money that you weren't anticipating for or out a good relationship that you had before you became roommates. Yeah, because we wanted to really touch on this just because housing is so much of your budget and it's such a huge factor in your lifestyle, where your money goes, how you live. So getting rid of some of the stresses that can come alongside renting and just living in general can just make those other things just a little bit easier and just take some of the stress off of you, hopefully. Well, I hope you enjoyed today. Uh, like I said, we just wanted to help you take a little bit of the stress off of your wallet and your ability to understand personal finance. Uh, if you have anything else you want to talk to us about in terms of personal finance, insurance, investing, and all those other things that we find fun, you can head over to uh, brawnfinancial.com. You get a hold of us through phone or email. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take care. And wait, what's the closing line? All the best. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.